My 20s were a decade of trying to figure out what in the heck was going on. We were told something is happening on the streets, so get ready, use your guns against the people. Whatever you do, as best as you know how to live into it, be full-hearted or just quit. Be full-hearted and quitting. Our lives are meant to make us feel very safe and very taken care of. And then what you end up feeling is you don't know yourself in unknown places. Hey guys, this is the Ensense Podcast. Welcome back to another week, another episode, another brick in the wall of maturity. We like to think of it that way. We have a guest this week, Justin Rizzo. As you know, here at Ansons, we love to circle up with people on their stories, and especially with people who are called into some kind of creative expression. And actually, spoiler alert, that's all of us, but Justin is a musician. Enjoy the episode. Justin, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man, it's an honor to be here. The question that I actually want to start with, because I know what you're connected to, uh, and it might sound a little strange, but you know, I know you're out there at IHOP and wondering, what is the longest uh, continuous duration that you have led worship? Um, myself, personally, probably for, um, gosh, it's going back a couple years, probably like five or six hours back, like when I first came here to the House of Prayer um, my internship, like, you know, you're just, I was 18 years old, just full of zeal and just like giving it all. Um, and, uh, we had a meeting that went long and kind of like got extended to where we didn't transition as normal. Um, cause usually everything works in like two hour blocks and, you know, teams transition out. Um, but yeah, I think it lasted about, uh, five or six hours. I don't, it was a Sunday night, I believe. What happens to your hands and your voice at that point? Your, do your fingers just like fall off? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's team ministry. So it's like, there's a lot of like leaning on each other. You know, you got like a couple singers who are singing, you got a whole band behind you. So, but yeah, definitely took a, a long nap the next day for sure. Man, that's not, that was probably, um, do, that's probably in the prayer room, right? Where you guys have like a continuous, some form of worship going around the clock, right? Yeah. So, you know, it started in 1999, um, and back then there was a lot of, uh, kind of like one person devotional set. So it's kind of one person on a guitar or one person at a keyboard. But since, um, probably like 2003, definitely from 2004, when I arrived, um, it's been full, full teams. So, and mostly young people. So you got, you know, full band, all kinds of singers. You have people who pray, who don't play or sing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very well, a well-manned, you know, kind of worship and prayer furnace. What was it about that um, kind of posture, that dynamic of 24-7, literally, that made you want to to jump into that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I grew up like um, as a pastor's kid in upstate New York, so from, from Buffalo. And um, I always, you know, hated school with a vehement passion. But I always say, if you're in school, stay in school. School's awesome. School's great. <laughs> Disclaimers aside. I didn't feel the, uh, I didn't feel that kind of academia thing. I was always, um, I always loved creativity. I always loved singing. You know, I started playing instruments when I was very young and so, um, had led worship since I was like 12. You know, my dad came to me and, and said, Hey, you know, um, I teach you how to play the guitar. And so he was a pastor of a church. And when your dad's the pastor of a church, you can do a lot of things that, 
normally you can't do. So started leading worship and, uh, at a really young age. And, um, and then when I was 17, 16, 17 years old, I heard my first, um, message is from our, our director here named Mike Bickle. And, um, his message was about, uh, the Mary of Bethany kind of Martha parallel that we all, you know, are so familiar with and just talking about like the extravagant devotion, um, to the Lord. And as, you know, as a, a worshiper, as a worship leader, I, like just really got my heart. And so I said, I'm going to check this place out. So I came out uh, in 2003. And, um, you know, honestly, I was expecting it to be like the prayer meetings at my church on a Tuesday night with like two old women that I didn't want to be at. I was like, this is boring, you know. Um, but I walked into this, this, uh, you know, for those who haven't seen it, it's just kind of, the, it's like a, looks like a church. There's a, a platform with, you know, drums and guitars and everything else. And there's about six or 700 seats in this room. And I walked in on a Tuesday at 10 AM and, um, I remember it vividly and I was like, Oh my gosh, like what is happening? There was, um, you know, this, this team on stage, like the band sounded awesome. Um, they were all like young, young 20 year old people leading the room had probably like three or 400 people in it praying and just crying out to the Lord. They were praying for revival in America. And I was like, what in the world is this place? And so I sat down and the thing that really struck me that really drew my heart to this was, um, after about 10 or 15 minutes, I was like, this is, this is different. These, these guys, uh, the two guys who were leading were a guy named Marcus and Tim. And, um, they weren't like performing. This wasn't a show. Like I was invited to engage in what they were doing, but they weren't overtly trying to like impress me. And there's nothing wrong with performance. Like I, I love that side too. But just my 17-year-old heart just said, this is so real and genuine. It was probably the purest form of worship I had seen at that time. And so, you know, I go next door. We have a coffee shop next door. And I was like, what is this place? How can you do this? And, you know, they kind of chuckle and they're like, uh, well, you know, this is called, a, you know, intercessory missionary. And so to do this is like a 50-hour week commitment and you do 25 hours of prayer and 25 hours of service in the community and um, so I was like, oh, my gosh, that's what I'm going to do with my life, you know. So I came back home and, um, you know, talked to my parents and different spiritual leaders in my life. And they really said, hey, we feel like this is a great next step for you. And um, so I moved about eight months later in 2004 and um, have been here ever since. You just described right there at the beginning, like your associations with worship were like, you know, two old women le- leading a set in an empty room. And I, I know for a fact that you know, uh, we've got a lot of listeners who, as soon as we kick it off with like, we're going to be talking to a guy who's, you know, committed to worship or like, you know, flip the switch to not for me. I don't like that. And, uh, I, what I'd love to go to is, um, you said it was like the most authentic worship that you've ever seen at this point in your story. How do you define worship? Hmm. That's a great question. It's a big question. You know, I've actually been thinking about this and writing about this a lot and just trying to like figure out that answer even for myself. Um, so, but you know, it's kind of the, the typical, the catchphrase that a lot of people have probably heard that, you know, worship is a lifestyle. Um, but I think that, and I definitely agree with that statement, but I would, I would love to, to see that expanded upon, you know, especially for, you know, our young generation, you know, millennials and young people, they're looking for something that is, is real and tangible. And, you know, I think something that we have to be careful of in the worship movement, quote unquote, um, different places that do worship, like is, 
we can't get people addicted to the experience in a worship service when you know the lights and the the music is just perfect and just right, um, and then kind of live from like experience to experience. And even in my in my own leading, um, you know, so I've led here for thirteen years, um, a minimum of, of six times a week. So that's that's a I don't know how many hours. That's a ton of worship that I'm leading. And you know, I've been asked before, like you know, so do you feel the presence of God, you know, all the time? And you know, I instantly like, no, I, I definitely do not. There's you know, and I, I do more of a morning section uh, right now. So I do a lot of 6 a.m.s and 10 a.m.s and 8 a.m.s. And, you know, I don't want to go talk to my band at 530 in the morning. I want to go to bed, you know, and so that's a sacrifice of worship. And so, yeah, I think worship has to be a holistic, um, you know, concept in our thinking that we talk about. And I think that we need to do a better job of, of really stewarding and discipling young people that, hey, we love that you go to a conference. I love that you come to the prayer room, you know, and, and experience God here. But the Lord may be calling you to be a CEO of a company and make millions of dollars for his kingdom. So how can you worship during that 20-minute time slot before you hit the job, you know, for your as an executive or whatever? Um, just, that's not the best answer, but it's it's definitely something I'm, I'm trying to figure out and find, even for my own life, I think. Yeah, I love it. I actually love what you were gesturing to there. Uh, and needing to expand the definition into what it means to live worshipfully. Uh, this to- definitely tends to unpack there. For, what about for you, when you enter, let's say, the actual space of music, and you're going to move into an intentional time there, are there things that you do or things that you are trying to shift your heart towards enable to be able to do it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, so when I get up to, to lead a set, for example, and, um, you know, I start playing my instrument, I start singing to the Lord, you know, um, I find a couple things that I really try and do, uh, before that, you know, Mike Bickle, our director, um, he said this to me when I was probably like 19 and it really stuck with me. He said, Justin, like, if you just ask the Lord to bless and anoint and to speak to you during your worship set, it's like 15 seconds, you know, two times before you go out there. He said, you will be surprised how much the Lord meets you in that place. Um, and it's so easy for me to forget that and just be like, oh, I'm going to like, you know, prepare. And if I feel like I'm all prepared, it's going to be a good set. If I'm not prepared, it's going to be a bad set. But yeah, so I, I try and just, you know, pray and ask God, like, Lord, speak to me, you know, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. as we're worshiping and praying for revival in America you know, would you speak to me? Would you speak to my team? Would you, you know, let spontaneous songs come forth, let the musicians feel, you know, anointing on their hearts as they play. Um, but yeah, just getting that, the sacred space, you know, with the Lord. Um, and it's kind of a, I look at it in both ways. Like, you know, Matthew six, the Lord tells us, go in your room and shut the door, you know, and I'll meet with you there. But then if you look at like different passages, like a Joel two, for example, you know, he says, gather together and pray. And so the way I posture my heart is, is trying to like combine those two realities um, that Justin, you know, I have that sacred space on the platform, the Matthew six, but um, with a bunch of other people here and we're leading as a team together. So kind of trying to, to meld those two together. Yeah. Going back just a bit to that worship is a lifestyle dimension. What would you say just recently? Um, the most worshipful 
non-musical experience in your life has been? Oh, Lord. That's actually, that's an easy answer. Um, I went to uh, the Alps in Switzerland um, last fall. And um, I had been there before, but not to this part of the Alps. And I, I felt so close to God. I felt like I could have just, actually I did. I laid down uh, on my stomach on this mountain, kind of looking over a ledge. And um, I started to tear up. I just felt so close, uh, so close to him. Hmm. What was it about that space that like just the beauty of creation? Cause there's a lot of beautiful spots here in the States. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was the beauty of creation. We had gone, um, you know, I'll be honest. I'm not like a big outdoors guy. Um, at least I, I never have been, I think I'm maybe becoming more of one. Um, kind of my out outdoors is more like a hotel type thing, um, outside of my house, uh-huh. but but yeah, so I think, you know, the the guy I was with, um, he and I had walked for probably a couple hundred yards on this kind of um, narrow path where there was no guardrails. It was very uh, rustic. It wasn't like, you know, this man-made thing. And so that, I think I was just like this adrenaline rush of like, oh my gosh, like I am completely, you know, trusting in God at this moment at the mercy of this mountain that God created and then we stopped at this one point and then I, I kind of went off by myself and just was looking, yeah, the, the beauty of these mountains and these peaks and everything. I was like, God, you made all this, yet you're dwelling inside of me and you and I'm enjoying this. You made me for you made this for me to enjoy it. Like and you knew this moment in time would happen when, you know, Mr. Non outdoors guy Justin would would encounter you here. It was just it was so beautiful. Mm. I love that. It's it's speaking to I think what if you were to take a snapshot of that, Hollywood would love to make that, you know, this big epiphany religious moment. But instead, that combined with what you were saying, you feel on stage, there's this not these words, but there's this attunement to what's going on internally for you of the way that, you know, you you're ready to listen um to when Jesus has to speak. And that might be when you're leading a set, starting a set. Um, that might be uh, kind of on the hillside that just I'm hearing in that um, more consistency of that kind of posture of what maybe general worship looks like. I'm wondering how that informs just hearing. I love what that story emphasizes about uh, that in the core of that experience of worship was awe, but something also very intimate in the fact that it was grandeur that you knew that God had led you into um, and it was the intersection of those things that created this uh, experience. Would when you are going back to the stage, um, and when you actually have the opportunity to be playing, are there particular things you are hoping um, will happen for the people who happen to who are gathered there at a certain time? Like, how would um, how would you define like a uh, a well done worshipful experience for a group of people. Like, what would you hope, or what would you see as happening uh, for the person who comes in? Yeah, I think even if one person in that gathering, whether it's one, you know a gathering of ten or twenty thousand, if one person in that room 
is strengthened in their walk with God is um, more becomes more in tune with the love of God and the mercy of God and shame is removed from their heart. Um, and they walk out of that worship time wanting to live holy and wanting to live righteous and knowing a little bit more of their sonship as a child of God, I would call that a successful time of worship. Um, and you know, that, that maybe not the, the best answer when you're thinking of like conferences and huge, you know, throngs of people, obviously with, with, a, you know, a gathering like that, there is something that happens when, you know, thousands, even hundreds of voices are singing something in unison that, that I've, you know, there's nothing like that experience of just, you know, helping people to sing to God is such a, such an um, amazing, amazing thing. Um, but yeah, I think just across the board, it's, you know, it's, it's what I said. And also, you know, on the side of, um, in the prayer room, you know, where there's less people, it's a two hour set. So it's not so much like we got to get these thousand people singing. That's the goal of a Sunday morning. You know, this is, if it's a, a Tuesday at 8am, you know, the goal is very different. And so in that type of setting, you know, something that, um, I've had this experience a, a number of times in these, these years of leading when the Lord just kind of whispers something, um, to me for someone in the room. And sometimes, um, you know, I have my eyes open and I'm, I'm actually looking around and asking the Lord, like, Lord, is there anyone in this room that you want to, um, you know, encourage through me, you know, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And so it's, you know, it's not this weird, like, Oh, you're, you're prophetic or whatever it is. It's just, you know, God revealing himself to someone is, you know, I think, you know, prophetic and, and um, he uses other people to do that. And so there have been dozens of times actually that I've, I've actually noticed and seen something. Um, it's not this like loud, you know, audible voice. I've never actually heard the audible voice of God, though I'd love to. Um, it's just this little whisper, like, or I'll look at someone. Sometimes I remember one time, you know, I looked at someone and I just felt like they were um, so confused. And then I began to feel confused. And I was like, okay, I think God wants me to, you know, sing just encouragement that he has, he has this all figured out and he has your, your journey perfectly mapped out. And so as I started to sing, you know, a, a good friend of mine says, says it this way, you take those little impressions. It's like pulling a Kleenex out of a Kleenex box. And there's always going to be another Kleenex that naturally pulls behind it. It's just taking that first one is kind of, you know, it's gutsy to step out there. And, and obviously you're not, I, I don't call them out by name or you in the second row. You know, I don't do that. But I remember this one time, um, several years ago, and, and I kind of felt this, this confusion thing. It was actually a husband and wife couple. And uh, they just had their eyes closed. They're in the prayer room. And um, so as I started to like sing, I began to, uh, you know, I'm still, you know, I know what I'm singing, but it's kind of the Holy Spirit really took over in this moment. And I started singing about like, you know, yes, you're supposed to move. The Lord says to go. The Lord says, this is your time that your old home, you know, will always be there, but I have a new home for you for a season all this stuff. And, um, so this guy actually came to me afterwards, like in tears. And he said, you have no idea what you just, um, you know, did for me and my wife. And, and he said, you know, we've been asking the Lord about moving from place Y to place Z, and we are going to move because of what you're saying today. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, maybe don't do that. Okay, well, okay, great. You know, I was kind of like, it was, it was just amazing to see, um, to see that, you know, it's so, it's so amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm struck by uh, when you say it's, it's successful for one person, um, 
they are drawn closer into God or there's something offered or strengthened. Um, actually, my mind went to a crowded room and everyone's got their arms across their chest, except for one guy in the back with his like hands in the air. And I'm kind of going, you know, that really be like, I mean, I guess if there's just one guy kind of rocking out, you could kind of make him your man and, and kind of <laughs> stick through it. Um, I also wish there was a better metaphor for going out on the ledge and kind of taking that leap because it does feel like thin ice when you're, when you're going to offer something. I just wish it wasn't Kleenex. Ah, man, I like the Kleenex metaphor. I've never heard that one, but it was like kind of, you know, uh, messy, but at the same time, so provincial. Uh, Where in your story, where was that risk taking developed? Um, I think it started um, when I came back from IHOP in that interim period when I'd visited when I was 17. um, I really got a vision when I was here. Because one of the things that we do here at the House of Prayer is sing the Bible, um, not well, not in like a you know uh, monastery sort of way where they're just doing it more um, uh, all the way through. But we'll do like meditation, like you know, I've I've sung through like Ephesians chapter one, verse one through fourteen, for example. My my team and I studied and sang through those um, fourteen verses for about two and a half years. And just like, you know, really like uh, going phrase by phrase. Like, so, you know, Psalm 23, for example, the way we'll break it down if we're doing it is, um, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Like, we won't sing that whole phrase. Um, You know, the Lord is my shepherd. We won't even sing that. We'll just like isolate the Lord. And myself and the three singers who are on my team, we've all been studying Psalms 23 verse one for, you know, weeks. And we sing and just have a kind of singing seminary discussion conversation about the Lord and get cross references. And, and then we'll open it up and go to the next phrase is my shepherd. And is my shepherd means so much more because we've sung about the Lord for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And anyway, so I think it's that concept is uh, I came back uh, when I was 17 and my little worship team here at my church, I was like, Hey guys, we're going to sing the Bible. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to do it. And I've never done it before. But I'm, you know, being this all macho leader, I'm like, yeah, it's going to be super easy, yada, yada. So I get my singers and a couple of musicians in this small side room at the church. And I'm like freaked out of my mind. And this, you know, it's my team. It's not even like I'm on a platform. And uh, I was like, all right, we're going to open up to Psalm 24. I'm going to sing verse one. Sally's going to sing verse two, you know, just down the line. And I was the most terrified one in there. But something happened as I began to like step out. It wasn't my words. They were his words. They weren't my words, which are many times, you know, lifeless and weak. They were powerful, living and active words. And I think that's what really emboldened me, you know, on the journey of, you know, singing spontaneous songs and asking the Lord for, um, for songs over a, a city or a region or whatever it is, where it's like, it's not just, um, you know, Justin being creative. And can you find a cool you know, lyrical hook to like impress these people. No, pretty much 99% of when I sing something spontaneous, it's referenced from or verbatim a Bible verse, at least when you start, you know, that first Kleenex that you pull out there, um, you know, is, is based on that. And so I think it started there when I was 17, um, you know, just singing, singing the Bible, which you don't have any melody or lyrics and you've never done the spontaneous singing thing. It's, it's, it's really challenging. Man, I love that. That reminds me of 
one of the most uncomfortable experiences in my life was I just come back with a group of guys from visiting this church community in Los Angeles and we were actually like his parents roped us in to going with them to their thing and I, they were like and so it's anyway one thing led to another next thing you know this large group of gathered people is asking like whoa you know what was it and what were you guys doing and I, I mentioned how I had swung through um this, you know, I actually, I liked dance at the time and I had swung through this like worship through dance thing where like someone would do a move and everyone would do it. And I thought it was weird, but also really cool. And they were like, dude, <laughs> some guy in the front row is like, dude, God is telling me you need to lead us right now. And I was like, you're out of your mind, man. But anyway, I got up and started like doing this thing. And like, uh, next thing you know, like, I'm like totally ready just to be humiliated. And it ended up being uh, really like stunning, and it, it reminds me of there is a thing that feels true, um, that e- like the even like Brene Brown talks about that feels appropriate to our life with God and worship. That's like uh, the more risks you're willing to take in a day are often correlated to like uh, the the goodness you can experience, like how much of God you can experience that day, and that there's just a core thing in there of like worshiping safety doesn't actually get you very much at the end of the day. But being able to like totally um, and often like really be laughable can do some pretty cool things. Totally. I'm cur- I'm curious because of like the trajectory of your story and, and these choices you're making when you're 17 and now having been a part of this for what, nine years more? Is that, uh, is that right? About 12, 13, yeah. 12, 13, okay. Was... 16-year-old you, 17-year-old you, um, imagining that you would stay in the realm of worship through your your teens and your 20s and, and the, kind of the coming decade? Was that a, a, where you saw yourself going or has this been kind of an unexpected to be at this place in this time? Um, it it was kind of expected. Not Maybe not here at this location, uh, part of this ministry, but I always... You know, and my parents as well, um, you know, they're both full-time ministry pastors and worship leaders and, um, you know, kind of all of us, there's three kids in my family and um, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of leading that direction as they, they prayed for us, you know, through our teenage years and everything. And so, and I always loved it, you know, since I was 12, I could definitely, um, you know, see myself leading worship as kind of an occupation, but the only frame of reference I had was a church, you know, and, um and so, yeah, I think, you know, my wife and I, as, as we, cause I, I'm 31 now. And so when I turned 30 last year, you know, I, we had a lot of just good discussions, good talks of like, man, like we're so grateful for, for where we're at in life. And just, um, you know, she's, uh, you know, an amazing singer. And uh, so she sings with me here at the house of prayer and, um, for all the places that I could be for everything that I could be doing, um, you know, this, my heart is alive in what I'm doing here. And there's definitely, you know, other dreams and desires that the Lord um, you know, has made really clear to us that, that in his perfect timing we'll walk into. And, um, you know, we've begun to see maybe a little bit of them develop here recently. But, um, but yeah, I think ministry has kind of always been my, um, you know, trajectory for life. That's good. I wonder, going back to the person who feels uh, unable to enter or resistant to even the concept, uh, some of the things about risk and worship that you've been talking about. Um, 
And a lot of the stuff that you've been describing feels like black belt level, or like it could be. I know it's all it's pretty ordinary, but if uh, if there was someone who was saying, "Yeah, like I just don't know how to how to start," um, you know, I, like I would love actually to have you know worship as a lifestyle mean something to me, and I would love to have like I was like struck by the greatness of Jesus and like felt less ashamed, like be true. But most of the time, like nothing happens or I would even go, uh, what, like, what were, what would some of the things be that you would say were like level one point of entry, where to start in cultivating a heart that can worship? Yeah. I love that question. And I think the answer is really, really easy. Like, I think you just have to accept that, um, weak love is real love. And where, wherever you find yourself today listening to this, um, God wants to meet you right where you're at. Like there is no, you know, and I, I've learned this as I'm sure you guys have, like just with talking to different leaders in the body of Christ who are, you know, well in years and 60s, 70s and 80s, you know, so much of their spiritual walk has been ups and downs, left and right when they weren't expecting it a constant leaning on the Lord. And I think, you know, for me, the, one of the biggest challenges that I, I still wrestle with at times absolutely is, um, you know, that, that shame of that, Oh, I'm not as good as that person over there. I'm sure that person doesn't struggle with this sin. So I'm just going to kind of retreat and just be my own little thing and let no one know what's really inside of me. Cause I don't, you know, just kind of, we make ourselves, you know, reclusive and just like hiding in this, this bubble of shame when the Lord's like, Hey, every single person on the face of the earth is weak and broken, you know, including everybody in the Bible, you know, outside of Jesus. I mean, Paul was like, you know, he had like, he had issues, you know, the disciples had like huge issues. And so I think just the, the main and plain, and that's cause that's where the breakthrough came in my life. When I began to, to realize like, Oh, everyone is broken. So I don't need to, to, you know, be, reclusive and, and hide away. I can step out and let this journey unfold of God loving me where I am. You know, it's the verse in Song of Solomon that, you know, talks about, you know, you're dark, but you're lovely. You know, it's like the Lord calls weak love, real love. And, you know, for, for my standards of love, I'm like, no, because if I really love someone, I wouldn't, you know, mess up for the thousandth time, you know, <laughs> like that doesn't work that way. But the Lord you know, he says, yeah, it, it actually does. And there's a reason why my mercy's new every morning. It's not just for a cool song or a cool Bible verse. Like he set up the whole kingdom this way, ultimately to get us rid of the, the mound of pride that's in our heart to say, Justin, can you receive my mercy today? Or do you want to keep trying to be strong in your own strength? Like, are you, do you want to actually experience the blessedness of being poor in spirit, the blessedness of mourning? Like, and so, so that, that'd be my encouragement. Sounds like you've done at least a little bit of thinking about these topics. <laughs> oh, just a little. Related question then, and you just hinted at it. What is worship, what is starting in, even with, as you just described, weak love, supposed to cultivate in a person? Like what happens uh, to a heart as it becomes a heart that's capable of worship? Yeah, I think... As I understand that my weak love to the Lord is real and actually all that he's asking of me, 
I feel like my true Justin Rizzo self begins to be um, developed and come forth. And so I think, you know, the development of our, you know, body, soul and spirit really like is, is all wrapped up in that and understanding, you know, the love of God um, and what he has for you. And so I think, you know, you begin to truly live when you begin to truly understand that God is really, really powerful and you're really, really not. And he still wants you. He set up his kingdom that way. And so I think, you know, identity, sonship, all those types of things, you know, begin to happen when you when you step into that place. I know that worship is core to what you do, but it's not the only craft that you actually uh, spend time on. Discovered that you actually wrote several musicals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, that's a total God story. Um, and let me preface this story with I'm not like that, you know, charismatic spiritual guy who has like encounters all the time and spend most of my time up in the third heavens. Like I'm, I'm a real, I'm a realist, like in my life, I want to know facts behind something. And so, um, I don't have many encounters with the Lord, but, um, this is probably one, actually one of the only that I've really, um, had more of a supernatural quote unquote sort of way. Um, so I grew up, you know, like I said, since I was 12 worship guy, Um, I thought that Hollywood for Jesus people and those kinds of artists were like weird. And I just, I actually kind of disdained them for for lack of a better term. So it was never on my radar to, to get into this world. And, um, about six and a half years ago, I'm sitting in a a service here, um, here at IHOP, we have, you know, weekly services on the weekends. And so I just led worship for it. It's a Friday night. And, um, you know, this, this woman gets up to speak. Her name's Julie. She's kind of like a mom in the house, you know, and uh, she's like, hey, I want to talk about humility. And so, you know, I get my computer out, as I always do, to take notes. And um, so the thing you need to know about Julie is um, she dreams a lot and the Lord, you know, sometimes speaks to her through dreams. And so she had had like all these Hollywood dreams, um, how the Lord's going to, you know, raise up a culture of, you know, arts and entertainment that's going to make Hollywood jealous because it'll be outside of Hollywood and all these amazing things. But I, I had heard her share these dreams in different leadership meetings, like probably three or four times. So this specific night, you know, she's talking about humility. And then randomly in the middle of this message, she starts like veering off and sharing these Hollywood dreams. And honestly, my first reaction was like, oh, my God, Julie, like, I don't need to hear these Hollywood dreams again. Talk about humility. But um, this specific night, like right after I had that thought, um, I, I'm talking like in a second had a deep, deep desire, and this is how I know it was God, a deep desire to make film, to write musicals, to to score and and all these different things. And the next the next thought and emotion I felt was like, no way. Like I am not gonna do this. Like God, what is happening to me right now? I'm a worship God. Like I don't know the first thing about this and I'm not gonna give my life to, you know, all these my brain just starts like firing off things as I'm like talking to the Lord. But the, this desire just kept increasing as she was talking, and so I, um, I go home that night, tell my wife, and then you know I called another close friend of mine and said, "Hey guys, you need to like pray for me because I don't know what in the world just happened, but I really want to make films and write musicals." And um, and I said, "Hey, don't tell anybody because you know I'm that type of guy where it's like I don't want to tell you know 
500 people at a conference and then you know the next day someone says i had a dream about you it had to do with hollywood i'd be like well i just told you my experience so you know that that'd be me but um so i said don't tell anybody so six months later um here i'm at a a a leadership meeting talking about worship and this leader's up at the whiteboard you know creating this little um scheme of what they want to do in worship and um they stop talking mid-sentence turn around look at me and um, start like prophesying and declaring all these things about Hollywood and films and musicals. And um, they said this statement specifically that still like just sticks with me. Just that they see like the lines of the Bible being um, expanded and in between each line of the Bible, there's musical notes and melodies and all these different things. And so again, my first reaction was like, I start slouching in my chair and internally I'm like, shut up. Like no one knows this. Don't expose me. You know, but, um, of course, I went up and you know talked to them afterwards and said, "Hey, like just so you know, you were right on." And um, and then really amazing, they they invested um, several hundred dollars in um, some uh, composition software that um, I'd been looking at. So anyway, long story short, three months after that, I find myself in a room with um, three other people. One of being uh, my sister, which is awesome, and uh, we co-wrote the script to the dialogue for. Um, a show called From Patmos, which is based on uh, the life of John, you know, he's in his 90s uh, on the island of Patmos and kind of like remembers back in time to different memories as he's trying to, you know, keep himself sustained as he's in prison at the end of his life. And then the show kind of ends, the finale is the Revelation 1 encounter when Jesus appears to him and takes him up to heaven. And um, so we write this script and then, uh, you know, there's 22 holes where it says, you know, Justin will write song about this. Justin will write song about this, you know? And so I'm up here in this very room where I'm talking right now in my office, my little, what I had at the time was a 1988 Korg nasty sounding keyboard. And I'm, you know, writing these songs. And I mean, you want to talk about leaning on the Lord and um, pressing in when you felt, I mean, sometimes I would be just at my complete wits end of not knowing what to do. And I would just, go down on my knees and just be like, God, you need to speak because I have no idea where to take this or what to do. And, um, and then, so we, we did nine, nine performances of that here in Kansas city. Um, there's actually an amazing turnout. We had, um, sold out shows at each one. Then we, we actually web streamed it. So had another about 10,000 people joined it online. Um, and then two years after that, um, I ended up writing a, a second show, uh, with another lady, here is called is in the days of Noah, and we kind of painted the picture of four four characters. Um, one of them being Noah, who are each seeking to build something. Uh, and the big hook for this one is one of them is Ham. Uh, Ham and Noah's son is kind of uh, a bad boy at the beginning, and so it's like, is he going to make it on the boat? Is he not? You know, of course we know he is. But um, so we wrote an additional nineteen songs for that show, and so yeah, so it's and then then right now we're kind of in. Um, you know, a, a waiting period, but the Lord actually spoke to me, um, earlier, no, I'm sorry, two years ago, uh, in January that, you know, it costs you nothing to write and except time, obviously, but you don't need a, a stage crew. You don't need a theater. Um, so really I've just been giving myself to, um, just releasing what I feel the Lord's stirring inside of me, um, in regards to these sort these sorts of things. That's awesome. There was a crazy, uh, pop uh transition in that story when it went from i was up in my room and there were 
functionally a million songs to be written. And the next thing you know, the play was on stage and they had been written. That's, that is He's speechless. I, I'm just, I'm seriously, my mouth is just hanging up here, but like, man, I made so many things. That's amazing. Was that like smooth or were there like things that you had to adopt or to act, to be able to keep creating music? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, some of the songs, uh, I would actually, this is horrible in, in musical theater world. It's just, this is horrible practice, obviously, but, um, you know, some of the songs I would take, like I was writing a song for the scene we were going to rehearse like that night. And so I would take like the dribble that I just, you know, scribbled out to the, to the rehearsal. And as I was hearing the singer sing it, I was like, oh, wow, I really don't like that, but I have a better idea. And I would kind of, you know, write that new idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was it, obviously as every artist would probably say, there's things that they would want to tweak and change, but for what it was, um, I am, I'm really so proud of each song, um, you know, that was written each in the, you know, the, the actors, the singers did a phenomenal job. Um, and if people want to hear it, they can check it out on iTunes. Um, you know, both shows are on there, but yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a little bit speechless because it's kind of like, yeah, I think God just, God just did something there, you know? Totally. Pretty, pretty clearly he did. Uh, what, so you just mentioned that you're working on a book now, probably because it's something you're able to do with less overhead. Um, what can we hear about that? Um, what's, the, what's the idea behind it? What's the story? Why now? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually I'm working on a book and also working on um, a new worship record, which is, is super fun. Um, but yeah, on the book side, um, I had this idea probably four years ago to write a book to help worship teams and um, you know worship leaders specifically, but the whole worship team just to grow and kind of go to the the next level and encourage them and strengthen them. And so I. Um, you know, I dedicated, you know, one night a week, my, my wife was going to this, you know, Bible study on a specific night. So I said, Hey, I'm just going to take these four hours, um, you know, on Wednesday nights from six to 10 and just write. And so, um, it was a really, um, a special season. Cause I felt like I had a lot, um, that needed to, you know, kind of be harvested out of me on the specific topic, um, you know, at that, at this time. And so it, after about a year, what ended up kind of spawning was, um, you know, a, a worship leader book, kind of the working title is growing as a worship team, um, a practical and spiritual guide to taking your team to the next level. Um, and it's kind of split. Um, some of the chapters are like super practical, like how do you, um, let someone go from your worship team? You know, how do you facilitate an audition for your worship team? Um, how do you interact with your pastor at your local church? And then the other half of the book, um, would be more, you know, spiritual topics like, how do you um, deal with pride and envy and jealousy as a worship leader? Um, you know, talking about the life of David and, you know, principles that we can glean from him. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited about it. I've just, you know, something I've, I've learned in my old age of 31 is really, uh, you know, with, with all these things, like just always surrendering them to God and um, just being like, God, I feel like this is an idea from you. I'm going to do my part to steward it well. But do whatever you want with this book. Do whatever you want with this song that I wrote. Like I'm, I'm gonna have a plan, you know, because I think that's being a good steward. 
But if that, you know, door closes, like just lead by, you know, green lights. If it's a, a green light, I'm just going to keep going until you make it a red light. And then I'll go down this other street and just, um, so I really try and hold up all my projects just with an open hand. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited. And I think that um, this book will really encourage and strengthen a lot of worship leaders and a lot of worship teams. That sounds phenomenal. I know it's usually the case that when you start a writing project, especially when it's something that Jesus has invited you into, all of a sudden you'll start like realizing or he'll take that opportunity to then like aggressively point something out to you. Were there any, was there any of that in the writing of this book? Was there any surprises as you went along or like uh, moments of revelation that you hadn't kind of sketched into the map beforehand? Um, not really, but I'm trying to like, to think it through probably the, the main thing that I was struck by as I was writing was how like convicted I was at my own, um, you know, leadership, some maybe bad habits I gotten into. And so I feel like I became, um, a better man, a better leader on and off the platform. Um, you know, with each chapter that I wrote, I was like, man, I really need to, to get better at this. I need to you know, disciple people better. I need to, you know, do whatever. Um, so that's probably the main thing that that I found while writing it. Phenomenal. Where does someone go to find out more about that book? Um, nowhere at the moment. Probably the best place would just be to follow me on social media. Um, you know, we're kind of in the the discussions, um, you know, stage right now with it. Um, and then same thing, you know, with the different CD projects and everything, you know, you can follow on social media um, to, to keep up with that. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for giving us some of your time today. Yeah, it's an honor. Thank you, guys. Guys, thanks for dropping by and listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it today. If you want to keep tabs on us and what other projects we've got going on, the best way to do that is to follow us on social media. If you are no longer on social media like some of us, don't panic. You can still keep tabs on what we're up to. Just go to ansonsmagazine.com, join our mailing list, and we'll keep you in the know. And while you're there, be sure to read the magazine. 